0: The following sermon is a recording from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. For more audio and information, please visit HolyCrossTucson.com. Here is what God's Word says. Let's listen to God's Word. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This is God's word. You know, well, in this passage in Ephesians uh, 6, we come to Paul's final exhortation, his final command, an application of the gospel for how it relates to our everyday moments in our lives. And Paul has invited us through this journey of Ephesians to... To, to give up this cheap imitation of what it means to be a Christian, to give up the cheap imitation of religion that says, I find salvation by being obedient. I find God's favor by my changed life. And instead, trusting God who, as he says, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And so Paul, through this journey, is inviting us to, to give up this idea that that we can somehow manipulate favor and love and forgiveness from God because salvation is a gift from God. And likewise, he is inviting us to give up this cheap imitation of what it means to follow him. He's also showing us what kind of followers Jesus will make when we put on Christ, when we trust in him, when we receive his blessings. That we will be people not busy with spiritual activity or anxious about where we stand with him, but we will be people that are formed by his grace, by his character. We'll be people that are are strong yet humble. That we will be people that are truthful yet loving. We'll be people that grieve at the sight of injustice, yet thoroughly courageous and dependent on God. And that's what we've been talking about in the letter of Ephesians. We've been talking about how do we know what the gospel is, and how does that change our life? How does it overflow into our everyday lives of obedience and praise to God? We talked about how the gospel changes the way that we speak with one another. We talked about how the gospel changes uh, our marriages and transforms our marriages and our parenting and our work ethic. We talked about how, how the gospel uh, gives us a very countercultural view of the sexual ethic, and even our social lives, about getting drunk and not being drunk, but being filled with the Spirit. But here in this passage, and we've seen a lot of controversial commandments, here in this passage I think is probably the most, the most offensive, the most controversial. Here it is, I think, is the hardest one for us to embrace. He says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. What an absurd command! What a! Do you hear what I'm saying? Be strong in the Lord and, the, and in the strength of His might. This goes against the American dream. It goes against our ability. It goes against what Paul is saying is so offensive. Is so offensive what he is saying. He's saying left to ourselves, our own character, our own ability, our own our own endurance, our own strength, we are incapable of guarding ourselves against the danger that is before us by living in this world. You cannot do it on your own. It's so offensive that even as I read this scripture, as we read through the armor of God and we listed all of those pieces of armor one by one, you may have even made up your mind that you weren't going to learn anything today. That what you already needed to know about this passage, you've heard it before and you know it. Or uh, maybe it's just you're okay, you're strong, you're not that weak, you're capable, you're a resourceful person, you don't need to be strong in the Lord you're strong in yourself thank you very much here's a few reasons why I think that we might look at this passage and say well this isn't really for me one I think we think often that it's for children has anyone ever heard this passage taught to adults I have never heard this passage preached to adults I've always heard it taught. I've taught it to children I have never preached this passage myself I've heard it taught to Sunday school kids the armor of God, you got a pretty little picture of a soldier and then lines next to the armor and you write in, you know, what, what that armor is, right? So it's a cute little analogy. So this is for children. Grown adults are strong. Grown adults are, are smart. They're capable. They can handle themselves. They can take care of themselves. So this passage is maybe for people who are scared or prone to anxiety. It's for people who are weak and need a little extra help. But if you're smart and resourceful and, and you can... you're accomplished, then you don't have time for cute lessons about putting on an imaginary suit of armor to start your day. Because it's for children. Some might think have conflict with this passage because we think that, that suffering is deserved. So we see people that encounter trouble in their life, and we say, well, it's probably because of something they did wrong. And so if I avoid, if the way to avoid trouble in this life is just to is to, to, to make sure I watch my back and, and make good choices and treat people with respect and, and work hard. And if you're having a troubled life and if you are really struggling or if you need God to such a measure that you need to d- depend on his strength, it's, you probably got yourself there and it's your own fault. Maybe another reason and finally is that acknowledging struggle, acknowledging weakness is uncomfortable for us. It's uncomfortable to talk about it. It's uncomfortable to really sit in that and to dig into it. We're wimps when it comes to suffering. We don't like talking about it, about battle, about difficulty in life. We become so accustomed to defining the good life is a life that is free from conflict. It is one that makes us happy and it's comfortable. And suffering destroys the meaning completely of a good life, and so we ignore it. We don't want to talk about it. But Paul wants us to know something really quick, and that is this final exhortation for you and for me, for all of us. In verse 12, he says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Those things would be fine if you are strong and resourceful and you are uh, competent and you are good at what you do and you feel that that other people are weak but not you. Paul wants you to know that that might be true if you were wrestling with other people you're not. He wants you to know that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Who can match up against that? No one. Paul would have us understand that we are a broken people that live in a broken world. I don't need to convince you that we live in a broken world externally. I don't need to convince you that there are dangers to our life physically outside of the walls of this church and even inside the walls of this church. You put safeguards in place in your life. You're careful so that your harm would not come to you. But do you really believe that your existence is under constant spiritual attack? Many of us don't believe that. And so let's put this passage in its proper place where it is most needed, and that's in the heart and mind of every person who wants to follow Jesus. Sin and death and the powers of darkness which once ruled over the Ephesian people have been defeated by Jesus dying on the cross and rising from the grave. And it is amazing. It is amazing what he has done for them. However, even though sin and death have have received a death blow, there remains an ongoing spiritual battle in their lives and in ours. And so there is nothing more, absolutely more important than to be equipped to face trouble in this life because it's inevitable. There's nothing more important than to be equipped to face trouble, to know how to encounter struggle in our life. It's not only common sense, it's what the Bible teaches. I've heard someone say, life is like frying bacon without wearing any clothes, <clears throat> you know it's going to hurt, you just don't know where, right? So now I have your attention, okay? You know it's going to hurt, you just don't know where. It's inevitable. You cannot escape it because you are not strong enough to match up against the powers of the forces of evil and the, and the power of darkness and the authorities that rule in wickedness. And so we need to not only be equipped in our head and in our, to know these things and to intellectually know like, the things that we have and, and how do we protect ourselves and, and what the Bible teaches on how to pursue enter into struggle and to be equipped for it. We need to know how to use it. We need to know how to use it and to live this life using the things that God has given to us so that we are not crushed by suffering, so we are not crushed by difficulty, so that we are not defeated by temptation and fall into sin and live in a pattern of a lifestyle of sin, but so that we can be enhanced and deepened in our relationship with God. We need, it needs to go beyond just our knowledge of being strong in the Lord and knowing what we have and who we are in Christ to living it out in our lives. So that's the basic teaching that Paul gives us in this passage. It's filled with a lot of imagery. It's filled with a lot of analogy and a lot of metaphor so that we would not be weakened, so that it would come to mind, so that we'd be reminded of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ and what we have, so that we wouldn't be crushed by the trouble, but so that we would, as Paul says, stand firm in the faith. We would stand firm. And on that day, when Christ returns, we would prove, to have a genuine faith that trusts in Jesus, and we would not be weakened. We would not be tossed by the winds of of conflict and difficulty and struggle in life, but we would be able to weather those storms because of the strength that we have in Christ. And so first notice where this wrestling takes place. It takes place in the heavenly places, and this is important and interesting. We've seen this phrase before in chapter 1, where Paul says, You have been blessed. God has blessed us in, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So Paul says, You have been blessed by God with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And this is exactly where the conflict happens. In the same places where God blesses you, in the same ways that God desires to sanctify you, it is in those areas where Satan desires to defeat you. Because if we are blessed in the heavenly places, what Paul is saying, he's saying this is who you are, this is how you've been blessed, and that is to overflow into everything that you do, your daily activities. And guess what? You also struggle in the heavenly places, and that overflows into your daily activities. We think that the temptation of the the powers of darkness will come to us and we will notice it. And it's not true. It comes to us in a still voice. It comes to us in a subtle temptation. It comes to us as we are going about in the mundane things of our lives, as we are parenting and working and driving and thinking and watching and listening. It comes to us as we are speaking and playing. It comes to us in everyday mundane things. God's blessing in Christ is meant to transform every mundane area of our lives. And likewise, this is where our struggle takes place. It manifests itself not in this mystical or otherworldly thing. I know those those phrases of all the dark. It sounds a lot like Star Wars, right? We we think that well we'll notice we'll notice the cosmic powers of darkness when it comes, and we don't. It's subtle. Whatever area of your life the grace of God means to transform, it is that area of life that de- that the devil desires to destroy. As we've been working through this, 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 this study, and maybe you've been challenged, you've heard God, is desiring to sharpen you, to sanctify you. Has, has, has an area of your life come to the surface where you have said, God, would you please change me in that area? Would you encourage me, sanctify me, empower me to resist evil? It is that area you're going to struggle in. It is that area Satan wants to get in and destroy the work of God in your life. It is it's those areas you are most weak The devil seeks to defeat us in the same areas where God most desires to sanctify us. It's in the everyday routine. Where does does Christ desire to sharpen you as a believer? you think about that area? Where do you need to grow? Is it in the area of sexual purity, parenting, your speech, your anger? Do you boil over with, with rage? Don't be surprised when you face difficulty in that area. It's not an accident. It's not a coincidence. It's not by mistake. The enemy knows how to tempt. He knows where we struggle. And we're not to be caught off guard by how Satan works. Paul wants us to know that we shouldn't shouldn't be confused by how he works. We shouldn't be caught off guard that we're struggling in certain areas. And so we're told to put on the whole armor of God. Put it all on. Paul provides a, a summary guide for the armor of God that, provides, that God provides that we can use to, to resist these specific areas of temptation, these specific strategies by, of Satan that, that tempts us and that, that causes us to take our eyes off of Christ and, and on our sin. He gives us this summary guide that helps us resist this relentless attack of temptation by Satan. Satan on Jesus' followers. And there's six pieces of armor, and each piece is important, and each piece we are commanded to take up or to put on. And every Christian is commanded to be strong. Every Christian is commanded to be strong in the Lord. And thankfully, this is something that God loves to do for us. He loves to strengthen us. He loves to strengthen His people. And so the very thing that He commands us to do is the very thing that He loves doing for us. And in fact, There are two ways to see this this command to be strong. We see on one way, we can see a person standing in a room full of armor and there's an impending battle before him or her. And we see God looking at that person saying, you know, you gotta be strong. You gotta work really hard. You gotta do the right thing. You gotta put on the armor because if you go out there, it's really tough out there. You're gonna give in to temptation and so make sure you put on the armor. Maybe a lot of you hear God talking to you in that way. Why can't you just be better? Why can't you be good enough? Why can't you be stronger? Why do you keep making those same mistakes? And so you feel this heavy weight of just guilt and shame of knowing that this is up to me to put on this armor, or we can look at it in a different way. We can see a person in a room with the enemy waiting outside the doors. And there is the Lord, and he's clothing you. And he's putting that armor on you. And as he's doing it, he's strengthening you. And you feel his strength. You feel his presence. You feel his love. You do not feel the guilt and the condemnation of what you need to do. You feel his presence equipping you for the challenges that are before you. How do I know that it's actually, this passage is talking about that second way and not the first way? Well, we don't see it in this translation where it says, be strong. It's actually in the passive voice. And so what Paul is actually saying, he's actually saying, be strengthened by God. Don't be strong on your own might. Be strengthened by the power of God in your life. Receive his strength. Receive his provision. Receive this armor that he has provided for you. Let it be put on you. Let yourself be clothed with these provisions in Christ. It's the difference between going to battle on our own strength or in the strength of Christ. Christ. How you see this passage. I hope that you will see that he is inviting us to go into the battle of life with the strength of Christ and not our own strength. I'm glad that this command is put on the whole armor of Pastor Pete, right? (laughs) I'm so glad it's not that. Put on the whole armor of God. This is not your armor, it is not your strength, it's not your character or your record. It is not the endurance of your intelligence or your ability to resist anything that happens in your life. Put on the armor of God. Because only that is good enough. If we try to be strong in our own strength and with our own resources, we will fail. Do you believe that? If you go out into the world in your own natural ability, on the strength of your own provision you will fail. All of life is a battle against a spiritual enemy that we cannot see. How, how discouraging is that? All of life is a spiritual battle against an enemy we cannot see and we cannot defeat. We cannot win. But in Christ, we're strengthened by his strength. And as we look at each one of these pieces, we see that each has been previously referenced by Paul, which is quite beautiful and, in- and intelligent and put together so well. Not as, not as personal qualities or assets of our own that we are to adopt on our own, but these are things that have been given to us by Christ. By our relationship with Jesus through faith, these are resources that God has given to us. First, fasten on. See, so maybe you didn't think that we were going to actually go through it. Here we go. Fasten on the belt of truth. He references this before, as Paul says, in him you also, when you heard of the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Once, think about this, once you were ignorant, once you were deceived, once you did not know the things of God or the things of salvation, you were darkened in your understanding, your heart was callous; you were unable to know God at all. You were unable to know what it meant to have communion with God, and God revealed himself to you. He told you the truth. He told you the good news. And apart from him telling you, you would never know. But the good news has come to you. The truth has come to you. You heard the word of truth and the gospel of your salvation. God revealed himself to you. This includes facts about Jesus and his life and death and resurrection. It includes facts about God's plan of salvation for his people. It includes a telling of the gospel story uh, itself about how everything was created to be good. And it was good. And if we have a desire for comfort and good in this life, it's because that either we came from a place that was good or we're going to a place that is good. And the Bible says both are true. When God created all that there is, it was good and it was pure and it was innocent. But we rebelled against God's love. We rebelled against His commands and communion with him, and we decided to do it our own way, and we fell into corruption, utter despair. And then he tells us he did not leave us in that place, but he made a promise that one day he would save us. He would say, I'm going to come and I'm going to make this right. And he made a promise to his people, and he, he raised up families and, and, and singular people, and through stories and through events and, and through the people of God that continued to rebel, he continued to make promises to them in the Old Testament. And said, even if you are unfaithful, I will be faithful to you. And then he shows us how sins are atoned for through the sacrificial lamb. And then we, and then we see in the New Testament, we see that, that one cries out as, they, as he sees Jesus walking forward and says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is the answer to all of our pain and all of our brokenness. It's Jesus. And then Jesus does not take his earthly throne and conquer our earthly earthly enemies, but instead he goes to the cross. He is a king who conquers through his suffering and through his humility. He dies and he's buried. He raises from the grave so that death would So that death would have an expiration date. So that our temptation would have an expiration date. So that we could actually have sin defeated in our life. And once and for all, one day. This is truth. And Paul says, wrap everything together with that. Gird yourself. Have you ever walked out the door and gone on your day and halfway through you realized you forgot your belt? I mean, is there any any purpose in going on in the day when that happens? Unless you gain enough weight that you don't need a belt, which has happened. I didn't even realize that I was missing a belt. (laughs) Think of this imagery. It's there for a purpose. I don't want to get too specific about it, but the imagery is there, and it's there for good reason. The belt of truth that holds things together. It gives us security. It gives us confidence. It gives us a sense of a sure foundation. That things are held together not because of our life and the things we do, but because of God's promised truth that he told to us, the story of God. Without the gospel informing and transforming every activity, things are not held together very well. Things fall apart and slip down, and we're not truly held together. We feel a little bit precarious if we don't know the truth. But God has told us the truth, we don't need to feel precarious. We don't need to feel insecure. We don't need to feel uncertain of God's intentions with us because he has told it to us, and that's good. And next is we see the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate must be worn at all times in battle. The breastplate covered the soldier's vital organs, primarily the heart and the lungs. If you got hit here, you would not survive. You were dead, and so it is how we should see the righteousness of Jesus. Ephesians chapter 5 Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The only thing that protects our vital organs, our vital organ of salvation, is the righteousness of Jesus. The only way to have a relationship with God and for our sins to be forgiven is for Jesus to take our place on the cross. Taking our place under God's punishment. Jesus is our sacrifice. In the Old Testament, there was something called the sacrificial lamb. And when this lamb was slain, the people knew exactly what it meant. They would place their hands on this lamb, and the lamb was slain, and the blood was poured out. And they would pray over this lamb, and they were doing this to say that our sins are being taken by this lamb. And unless this lamb takes our sins, we remain in guilt before God. The sacrifice was God's way of paying the price for relationship with those whom he loves. And this is very basic. This is very basic of what it means to be a Christian. You will not understand the love of God unless you realize that Jesus died for you. You will not understand what it means to be forgiven and loved by God and protected in this life from evil unless you realize that Jesus took your place under the punishment of God for your sins. The cross will make no sense to you unless you realize that he took your place. Without Christ dying as our substitute, it's like going into battle without a breastplate, completely exposed, completely helpless. And so the soldier needs the breastplate of righteousness, remembering that Jesus has taken our place and we have the love of God because of his righteousness and not our own. The soldier also needs shoes. Shoes are good if you're going into battle. Shoes for your feet, put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Ephesians two seventeen. and he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. Because we have access to the love of God by grace and by grace alone, we should be people who are ready for action of peace wherever we go. We are people who who by far should be the people who break down walls of division between person to person. We should be people who fight for reconciliation, who are ministers of peace. Wherever there is enmity, wherever there is strife, we are ones that take the gospel news, the good news of God breaking down the barriers between different people and bringing peace. The more you understand the work that God has done through Jesus Christ for you, the more ready you will be to engage of works of compassion and love and mercy, forgiveness and charity. And so we put on the shoes of gospel peace, ready for action, to be good news tellers wherever we go. Then there is the shield. The soldier has the shield. Take up the shield of faith, Ephesians chapter 3, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Paul prays specifically for these friends, that they would be strengthened in their inner being and that Christ would dwell in their hearts through faith. Paul here puts his finger on a a painful reality for the Christian. There are often sudden attacks in the life of the Christian. Sudden attacks on the Christian's mind, on their thoughts, on their affections of the believer. Without warning, there there are temptations that come in. Previous sins will come to mind. And guilt and shame will fill your heart. And panic may overwhelm you and overwhelm the believer. And they'll begin to think, am I forgiven? Do I really belong to Jesus? Do I, am I forgiven before God? I mean, you're reminded of these sins in your life, past and present. And you begin to wonder, because those things exist, am I, am I forgiven? Does God love me? Am I not a Christian? Am I saved? Do I belong to Jesus? And it's at these times a Christian must raise up their shield of faith. When these attacks come, when the arrows come, and you're starting to think, well, maybe maybe I'm not who who I thought I was in Christ. The Christian must raise up the shield of faith. It is faith that God's love for us is not a matter of the endurance of our character or the strength of our record, but Jesus' love for us. Paul says, I pray that Christ may dwell in your hearts, that he may fill you with That through faith your heart will be full, knowing the love of God. Paul's saying, Do you know the love of God for you? Do you know how He loves you? If you truly understood, you you wouldn't worry about a thing. If you truly understood the love of God, you wouldn't be paralyzed by fear of the future. If you truly understood His love, you wouldn't be motivated by people pleasing. If you truly understood His love, you'd be filled with contentment all the time takes faith to believe His love for us, that it is steadfast and faithful. Being aware of and responding to the dimensions of God's love must be the first and foremost activity of our lives, knowing that He loves us and responding to that love through faith. If our love for God does not result in a genuine trust in God in the midst of trouble, then we need God's love to go deeper. If you are struggling, you believe yourself to be a follower of Jesus, but you're doubting it because of your sin, you need to know the love of God must go deeper. You must trust in what he has done for you, not in what you are doing for him. And then he says, take the helmet of salvation. Ephesians 2, 8. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing, it's the gift of God. Helmets, of course. They protect the head. They protect the head. Paul may have in mind the importance of of the mind in the life of a follower of Jesus. He may have, in in this, he's thinking about the mind of the believer. We need to learn how to focus on specific truths of the gospel that will strengthen us during times of intense pressure in life. We put on the helmet because it is not just a matter of feeling in life. It is a matter of thoughtful thinking and processing God's word. And that's why it's appropriate for him to go into the final one, take up the sword of the Spirit. Ephesians 1, 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. The spirit, or sorry, the, 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 the sword of the spirit, Paul says, is the word of God. Of the six pieces of armor, this is the only piece used for offense. Every other piece is defensive. Everything else is defensive and protecting oneself. This is the only piece of the armor that we use offensively. There are times when the best way to defend ourselves when we are facing trouble is to attack, is to enforce what we believe, is to go to God's Word and to use that to combat any struggle that we are believing, any lie that we are living. We must not only defend ourselves from the enemy, we must overcome him. If we're to do this, we must store up God's word in our heart. We must know his word and meditate on it. We must be strengthened by it. We must rehearse it, remember it, reorient our hearts around his word. We must spend time reading it, not in little snippets, not in little sound bites, not merely on Sunday. We we must become immersed in his word. In my experience, if I could be bold enough to say this, that what I believe is the core issues for Christians, the core issues for Christians in our church, core issues of Christians in my my experience and in America, the core issue with Christians and their struggle in daily life is this, that they are not spending time with Jesus. They're spending virtually no time in thoughtful communion in God's Word and in prayer. And then they expect to be capable to defend themselves and overcome the temptation that they face in their life. It's impossible. Spending more time being influenced and transformed by 24-hour news cycle, by podcasts, by talk shows, there is so limited first-hand experience with Jesus First hand experience of saying, going to his word and saying, God, who are you? Who am I? What does it mean to know you, to trust you? Tell me who I am. Tell me who you are so that I can know you and love you and live my life in, 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 in obedience and in peace with you. So few of us are actually doing that. We're living in sound bites, we're living in podcast form, we're living in just other people's first hand experiences asking people advice for what to do and then saying, well, I'll try that out instead of going to God's word and saying, would you be my offense? Would you show me what to do? In habitual communion with Jesus through prayer and reading of the word. Imagine going out to battle without a weapon. Imagine going out into battling an enemy you cannot see and that you're unmatched to fight. And imagine going out with no weapon at all just a bunch of armor. That's how prepared you are without knowing what the Bible says. That's how prepared you are without spending time in His Word. The Spirit, this is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I've often heard people a lot talk about well, how do, I know, like, how do I know what should I fo- follow? The, the, the Word, should I, should I do what God says? Because I feel in my heart that God is actually leading me through His Spirit to do something else. And so, which one wins out? Because I'm feeling God leading me in a certain way, and then I go to His Word, and it's kind of confusing because I feel like it's challenging that. What should I do? Paul says, the sword of the Spirit is the Word. And what he is saying is this, the Spirit will never direct you or claim a position that is contrary to Scripture. If you are feeling God lead you in an area or to embrace something that is contrary to God's word, God is not talking to you. That's something else. If you feel inclined to live a certain way or to engage in certain habits that God's word explicitly or even implicitly forbids, the Spirit is not leading you. He will never, the Spirit of God, His purpose is to exalt Christ and to shine a spotlight on what he has said to us and to fill our hearts with his word. These are things that we have in Jesus. These are things that we have in Christ. We have here the image of a soldier that stands before, covered, ready for battle, covered in the gifts of Christ, the armor of God. Put on the whole armor of God, Paul says. I'm glad it doesn't say put on your whole armor. Put on the whole armor of God. Put on what you, what you brought into battle because you cannot stand on your own. Don't, bring what you can, don't put on what you can bring. Don't put on what you have in your own heart and life. Put on what God has given you in Christ. This is really a long way of saying, to put on the whole armor of God is a long way of saying, put on Christ put on Christ, put on who He is, what He has done for you, what He has secured for you in the Father. Ephesians 1-3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We read this week two in the book of Ephesians. We read this verse. And it may have been your question, well, what are those spiritual blessings? And you may have thought, well, it's everything we could ever imagine. Paul, imagine, Paul is actually answering the question right now as he finishes. It's the truth of Christ and the good news of redemption for sinners. It's His righteousness that He died in our place as a sacrifice for us. The blessings we have in heavenly places, it's the gospel peace. That we are no longer enemies with God. Through faith, we are His friends. It means that we have, the gift is the faith that He has given to us as a gift. The blessings that we have are His salvation and the word that sustains us and and enables us to overcome the enemy. Put on the whole armor of Christ. To put on the whole armor of God is to put on Christ. Today is the first week of Holy Week. It's become known as Holy Week, the first day of the last week of Jesus' earthly life. It's Palm Sunday. It's Palm Sunday called that because a crowd of Jesus' followers and Jewish pilgrims coming into Jerusalem to celebrate the feast of Passover. They spread palm branches down as Jesus came riding in on a donkey, and they cried out, Hosanna. And as he entered in, the crowds responded with such excitement. They expected a king to come, the Messiah to come, who would deliver them from their greatest enemy, and there was a prophecy that said there will come a time when your king will come in riding on a donkey and he will drive out your enemies and he will rescue you and he will save you. And so the crowd shouted out, save us now. And the point of all this in this story is that Jesus comes and he arrives into Jerusalem on a donkey to tell them this, I am the rightful king, but I'm not the king that you think I am. Jesus sets up his kingdom not through a show of force, but through a show of suffering and going to the cross for us. He was strong yet humble. He was gentle yet truthful. And he invites us, Jesus invites us to give up the idea that salvation can be manipulated from him, that it can be stolen from him, that it can be earned from him. Jesus, the true king, comes and puts himself in the place of the sinner. He comes to put himself in a place where only we deserve to be so that by trusting in Jesus, we would be in the only place he deserves to be. And that's in the glory with God. Have you put on Christ? Have you put on the armor of God? Which is to say, have you put on Christ? Have you come to terms with how the Bible describes what you're like without Jesus? As one who's walking in darkness and whose conscience is seared and, who's, and, and, and one who is apart from God, not living with God if you see yourself basically as a good person with no need for Christ to die for you, you have not put on Christ. You are not a Christian. And you are the most vulnerable to be transformed and conformed to the darkness of this world. But if in seeing how the Bible describes you, you have cried out for mercy, mercy from the one who is rich in mercy and ready to give and ready to forgive, you cry out to him, trusting in what Jesus has done for you then you are putting on Christ. Then you are united with Him. Then you belong to Him, and nothing will separate you from the love of God. No darkness, no no cosmic powers, no spiritual forces, no enemy that we cannot see can separate us from the love of God because we are in Christ. Are you in Christ? Have you rested in Him? Have you put on the armor of God? It's all grace all the way. Let's pray.